Uh, it is a joy for me to be with you, and that is a first for me. Never in my life have I ever been introduced via video for anything. So um, I'm going to uh, just really briefly, because he's not here, and if he were here, he would hate this, but uh, I just want to tell you briefly how much I love Chris. Um, Chris is such a, a gift from God to me. Um, he's a deep encouragement. There's so many times that he and I will see each other out and about somewhere and kind of through that thick beard and with those amazing Jordans he's always wearing. Um, he just leans, he just kind of nods at me as a, as a sign of like, hey, I love you. Um, I understand what it's like to be a pastor. Keep going. And that's a real gift to me. So I'm so thankful for Chris. I'm thankful to be with you guys. I've heard so much about you. I've prayed for you. So it's a joy for me to actually be in your presence. And uh, what I told Chris, your pastor, is if it were okay with him, that I was going to talk to you guys today about Jesus. Um, So that's what I'm going to do. We will be looking at Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 really to 18. So if you have a Bible, I'd love to invite you to turn there with me, Revelation chapter 1, um, verses 12 to 18. Before we begin this time in Revelation, I do believe it's important just to tell you really briefly, I mean, the book of Revelation is not primarily something about future events. I think it's primarily uh, something about current events. Um, It's more about a, a pulling back the veil to see reality then it's about trying to guess at something happening in the far distant future. I know you know that, but I just wanted to remind you. So today, we're going to take a look at Jesus. And uh, I'm going to be reading these verses. I'll pray, and then I want to offer you just some simple thoughts this morning. So Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades." In my church, when we read scripture, we say, this is the word of the Lord, and the people respond, thanks be to God. So this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the chance to gain a glimpse of you, and we ask in these moments as we 
take a brief look at these words in your word. We ask by the power of your spirit that you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, I pray that your spirit would shine light on these words that are in your word. Lord, we ask that your spirit would shine light on dark places, Lord, in our hearts where we need light shown. And Lord, that you would use these words that I prepared, Lord, to shape us ever more into the people you'd have us be. We pray and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I like to read books and uh, I'm always in the process of reading a book. But several years ago, I heard someone say that it's not really books that change your life. It's actually paragraphs that change your life. And sometimes it's not even paragraphs that change your life. Sometimes it's sentences that change your life. And the year was 2005, some very nice people in San Antonio, Texas, had given me a job working with middle schoolers at one of these everything is bigger in Texas kind of churches, a church of seven, eight, nine, ten thousand people. I think they had lost count. And it was my job to be responsible for ministry to middle school students, 437 of them with 50 adult volunteers. And how that went is probably another talk for another day, okay? But I remember sitting in my office, I was 23 years old. It was my first job in pastoral ministry. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like what am I going to have to teach to these middle schoolers, these adult leaders, these families? I had hoped I would have a career in pastoral ministry, so I'm like, what am I going to have to give out to people in pastoral work? And I was reading a book, and I came across a particular section of that book, and more importantly, a particular paragraph of that book. And then in that paragraph, there were two sentences. And these two sentences, when I read them in all seriousness, I think changed my life to a degree. They certainly changed the way I go about pastoral ministry. So I'm going to tell you the two sentences. Here's what it said. The more you look at Jesus, the more you will want to follow him in this world, period. Second sentence, that is, of course, if it's the real Jesus that you're looking at. The more you look at Jesus, the more you'll want to follow him in this world. That is, of course, if it is the real Jesus you're looking at. And in those two lines, I think are two extremely important truths. The first one is that Jesus Christ in all his glory is the most compelling person in the entire universe. That's the good news. The hard news or the difficult news in those two sentences is that it's not just possible, but it's actually entirely likely that we could miss him, that we could fail to see him as he actually is, that we could be looking at a version of Jesus that's not the real Jesus. And if you're not looking at the real Jesus, I'll just be really honest with you this morning if you're not looking at the real Jesus, then he's, then, then he's not worth following. It's not worth following a fake Jesus. It's, it's just really not. There are better things to do on a Sunday. 
But if you're looking at the real Jesus, you'll be unbelievably compelled to follow him in this world. And I tell you all that this morning because in the book of Revelation, the words I just read for you, we get a picture of Jesus Christ as he actually is right now. And so today, this morning, I've prepared for you the most simple sermon that I could possibly preach to you. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus very directly. And in this case, I'm going to look at each of these descriptions. In this text, there are basically eight descriptors of Jesus. And I'm going to talk about one, and then I'm going to do my very best to apply that vision, that picture, that descriptor to your heart as if it were some kind of medicine. I'm going to try to tell you something about Jesus, and I'm going to try to aim it right at your heart for your encouragement on a Sunday morning. So let's take a look. Look with me at verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. This is the text way of telling you we're about to see Jesus Christ here, the Son of Man. So let's look at what he's wearing. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The first thing we see about Jesus, he's wearing a long robe, and he's in, in his, on this robe is a sash around his chest that is golden. What's going on here? Well, these garments that Jesus is wearing in this vision are both at the same time kingly garments, a long robe, Ancient kings wore these long robes as a sign of their power and authority. It's also got this golden sash, which means at the same time, it resembles the priestly garments that the Old Testament priests would have worn when they went into the temple. In other words, what we see here is a combination of a Jesus who is both kingly, the most powerful person in the entire universe, but so importantly, priestly. I don't even remember in the scriptures what a priest is and what a priest does. See, in the scriptures, a priest is one who goes in on behalf of the people. A priest is one who would make sacrifice for the sins of the people. The priest is the one who would stand in for the people. Of course, the Bible goes on to teach us that Jesus is the ultimate high priest, the one who's gone in on our behalf in the ultimate way, the one who's made sacrifice for our sins in the ultimate way, the the final sacrifice and forgiveness for all of our sins. And the Bible will go on to say that this Jesus of ours is a sympathetic high priest who's able to sympathize with you in all your weaknesses. In other words, and this is what you can't miss about this part of the portrait. What we learn here, and hear me, that the most powerful being in the entire universe is also the one most for you. 
me just aim that at your heart like something of a medicine. You, it's very possible that this morning you walked in here perhaps as a sinner in need of forgiveness, in need of mercy, in need of someone to absolve you for your sin. Even more so, it's entirely possible that you may have walked in here this morning needing to know deep in your bones that there is someone who knows what it's like to be you. And what we learn here about Jesus Christ in these kingly and priestly garments is that if you're a sinner here this morning, you have come to the right place. If you are here this morning and you need to know that the most powerful person in the universe understands what it's like to be you, that's what you have. You know, sometimes I imagine if I could sit down and have coffee with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if Jesus Christ is a coffee drinker, but sometimes I imagine if I could sit down at coffee with Jesus and I could be across a table from him and I could look at him and I could just tell him about my life. I could tell him about the fears that I'm feeling. I could tell him about the burdens that weigh me down. I could tell him about the relationships that are hard or perhaps difficult. I could tell him about painful realities in my life. And the good news of the gospel is that if I could sit down with Jesus and explain to him my life and my situation, he could look back at me as a sympathetic high priest and simply say to me, I know. I know. There comes a point in every person's life, it has has not come to you already, where just knowing that Jesus knows will be a unique comfort to you. So let's look at the next part of this vision. In the midst of the lamp stands one like a son of man, this is verse 13, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And then verse 14, the hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. So first we find out that Jesus is here with a kingly and a priestly robe. The second thing we find out in this picture of Jesus is that his hair is white like wool, like snow. It's a, it's a woolly white head of hair. What's going on here? Well, this picture of Jesus as one with a white, woolly head of hair has to do with Jesus' perfect righteousness. See, when something is white in the scriptures, it's, it's often a picture of moral purity. In other words, what we're being told here is that the most powerful being in all the universe, not only is he most for you, like we just saw, but he's also the most morally righteous person. So you and I live in a world where 
people who govern, and this is not particularly American sentiment, but people who govern are typically the most corrupt people. The people you can trust the least. In fact, deep in our bones, we have an instinct as American people to never invest one particular president with too much power because we're nervous about what power invested in a person might do because we don't trust that person's character. But what we're told right here, right now, is that the most powerful being in all the universe is also the most morally pure and righteous. And the scriptures go so far to say that it's his righteousness that's given to you and me as a gift. His perfect righteous record, Jesus' perfect obedience before God gets to be yours. If I could just take a second and apply that truth to your heart like a medicine, here's how I would do it. If you are here this morning and perhaps you're exhausted by your own failures and shortcomings, maybe you know so well your lack of righteousness, Have you ever had that moment where you just wish you were better than you are? See, this text teaches us that it's Jesus' perfect righteousness, his perfect moral purity that gets to be yours. See, it's in your union with him that you can actually defeat the power of sin or evil or death. You don't really have to say that, respond that way, click that, go there, drink that. You don't have to do that. Because a perfect record of righteousness gets to be yours. So we've got a long robe, we've got a golden sash, we've got white woolly hair, and look at what we learn next. Verse 14, the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. So here's Jesus, white robe, golden sash, woolly white hair with burning eyes. What's going on here? See, throughout the pages of the scriptures, it's the eyes of God. It's these burning, piercing eyes of God that let us know that our Lord Jesus has extensive, piercing, probing knowledge of all things. The reason why Jesus can rightly stand as judge of the universe is because he sees all and knows all. There's nothing, nothing that has ever, one time, ever escaped his notice. He sees. He knows. 
If I could apply that to your heart like a medicine, you might be here this morning on a somewhat dreary Sunday morning and you might have the question living deep in your heart and in your soul, does God, the God of the universe, does the God of the universe see me? Is he taking notice of that thing? And what we learn here is the answer to that question is yes. He does. He sees you. Not one moment has escaped his watch. In other words, as a medicine for your soul this morning, isn't it precious to know that the most powerful person in the universe is also the most attentive? He sees. He knows. So a long robe with a golden sash, white woolly hair, burning eyes. Look at what we see next. Verse 15, his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. These three images, a burnished bronze set of feet, a roaring voice, and seven stars in his right hand. I'm going to talk about all three of these images in one because they're all connected. But what's going on here? See, in the pages of the scriptures, one that has iron feet, one that has a roaring voice, one that controls, and I'll say more about this in a second, the world and rules over it with stars in his hand. Throughout the pages of scriptures, images like these have to do with our Lord's incomparable, uncomparable, unrivaled strength. Iron feet, in other words, he won't be moved or shaken. A roaring voice. I've stood before a waterfall in my life that just kept cascading, deafening sounds relentlessly. That's the strength of our God, relentless, cascading kind of strength. And the seven stars in the right hand, seeing the ancient world, sometimes stars were images of leaders and rulers. And the whole concept here, concept here is that the Lord Jesus Christ rules the universe and the leaders of this world are just like a little thing in the palm of his hands. He's the true governor, the true ruler of the world. These feet and this voice and this powerful right hand are pictures of his incomparable strength. And if I had to apply this truth, this picture to your heart as if it were some kind of medicine, here's what I would want to tell you this morning. It's entirely possible this Sunday morning that you walked into this room in deep need of strength. Because maybe your own strength has failed you. 
You might have walked in this room feeling unbelievably weak for any number of reasons. And see, the Bible teaches that Jesus' strength is made perfect in our weakness. If you're like me, you never want to show weakness. And the problem with never wanting to show weakness, as it is understood in the Bible, is you're welcome to never show weakness, you just won't have Jesus' strength. And trust me when I tell you, you're really going to want to have Jesus' strength. And what we learn here in this text is you can have it. You can have Jesus' strength. It is there for you this morning for the taking. So we have a long robe with a golden sash. We have white woolly hair. We have eyes that are burning like flames of fire. We have burnished bronze, iron feet, roaring voice, stars in his right hand. Look at this next couple of images. Verse 16, and in his right hand, he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. It's a bizarre picture, isn't it? white, woolly hair, burning eyes, and now we've got a sword coming out of his mouth. What's going on here? Well, see, in the scriptures, when we think about God's word, in particular his word coming from his mouth, it's often a picture in the Bible of God as judge who will right every single wrong. There's a question in the scriptures that says, will the judge of the earth not do the right thing? And the answer to the question is, yes, he absolutely will. He'll rectify every situation. He'll straighten every bent and crooked thing. If I could apply that to your heart like a medicine this morning, I just want you to know that not one wrong that has ever been done to you will go unanswered. The judge of the earth will do what is right. Straighten every crooked thing. He'll make all things new. He'll right every single wrong. There's not one moment of anything not the way it's supposed to be that he won't one day heal rectify, make right. Long robe with a golden sash, white woolly hair, eyes burning like flames of fire, burnished bronze feet, roaring voice, stars in his right hand, a sword coming out from his mouth, and then the final image... Verse 16, in his right hand, he had seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun that was shining in full strength. So what's going on here? Well, it's likely that this final image, the sun 
shining, his face being so bright, it's shining like it's in full strength. There's a couple things here. One, perhaps something of his unmatched glory and beauty. But even more likely, there's a place in the Old Testament where um, a battle occurs and sun is stood still and the sun begins to, to shine, like the, the faces begin to shine like sun. In other words, it's a picture often in the scriptures in many different places of Jesus's great victory over all things. He's won. He's the victorious warrior and he has won. If I could apply that to your heart this morning like a medicine, I just want to encourage you to know that Jesus rules this world. He has won despite the way that things appear to be. See, part of being a Christian, you're going to have to get used to this, but part of being a Christian is you've got to learn to trust that things are not what they seem to be. we learn here is Jesus shines in all victory. If I could apply that to your heart like a medicine, he's just one. He's defeated hell and sin and death. And look what John does when he sees Jesus. This long robe wearing, golden sash wearing, white woolly headed, burning eyes, bronze feet, voice roaring, stars in his hands, sword from his mouth, bright shining face. Look at what John does in verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. John's completely overwhelmed by it. And let's be honest This big, powerful, grand vision of Jesus would overwhelm you to the point of deep fear. It's a fearful thing to be in the presence of someone so powerful and mighty and holy. Except, look at what happens next. But he, this is Jesus, laid his right hand on me and he said, Fear not. I am the first and I'm the last. I am the living one. I died, he could have said, and I died for you. And behold, I'm alive forevermore and I hold the keys of death in Hades. Do you hear what Jesus says to John? In so many words. In the presence of a big, grand, powerful Jesus, what Jesus says to John is really simple. And let it wash over your heart this morning like a medicine. Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm here. I'm alive. In other words, we learn that the most powerful being in all the universe also so happens to be the most kind. And the more you look at Jesus, 
the more you want to follow him in this world. You know, I came here from Homewood, Alabama, like seven minutes away, up the mountain, to just remind you in the simplest way that I possibly can that you don't have to be afraid, that Jesus sees you, that he knows you, that he loves you, that he's here for you, that he's alive. And I cannot possibly know all the ways you need Jesus this morning. I could never know that. But here's what I can tell you with everything I have in my bones. That if, and this is the main thing I want you to hear, if you need Jesus, what I'm here to tell you this morning is you have him. That's it. That's the sermon. Let's pray. Lord, these things are such an easy thing to talk about from a pulpit, but they are infinitely harder to take hold of in the very real things in our lives. So Lord, I pray that these very real truths that we've seen here in your word. God, I pray that they would be things that we could take hold of like a medicine for the hurting, Lord, for the lonely, for the weary, for the exhausted. I pray that we could behold you, Lord, as our perfect lamb of God. And that would give us deep hope and encouragement, we pray. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.